Good morning, Forefront. It's really uh, quite an honor for me to be here today. I, uh, I've been a pastor for a lot of years, retired January 1st of 2020 from my uh, church, Crossroads Church. I've been in the same region uh, Drew has been, and we've been part of um, a leadership group and together every other week. Uh, it's just been really quite a joy. I've noticed that uh, Drew has does have a nice hairdo, and I'm I'm actually decided now that I'm retirement to grow mine out. I, I, my wife says I'm going to look like the the Doc on um, on Back to the Future, which is okay. Uh, I noticed Forefront is uh, was born in 1956. Did you know that? It says it on your wall back here. Well, I was born in 1956, so good things. So now you know how old this church is. Well, you can figure it out and how old I am. And uh, I do a little work with the, uh, with the region, ABCRM, and I bring you greetings from our region, which we both belong to. And I'm just so honored to be here today. Drew is a good guy, and I love him a lot, and we are a lot alike. We have the same kind of personalities. Anyway, you heard my name is Kim Scadam. Kim, that's an unusual name for uh, a guy, I know. I went through uh, junior high, fifth grade, sixth grade, junior high with that name. You can imagine how hard it is to be named Kim, especially when back then Johnny Cash came out with a song called The Boy Named Sue. Some of you are old enough to remember that. Um, anyway, uh, are there any teachers here? Any teachers? Teachers, raise your hand. Yeah, I just want to give a shout out to you because I had a teacher in fifth grade change my life. I don't want to be named Kim anymore. I wanted to go by my middle name, Wayne. Wayne, like Bruce Wayne or John Wayne, you know, Wayne. And I told my teacher, Mrs. Adams, in fifth grade, I, I, you, I'm going to change my name. You can't call me Kim or you have to call me Wayne. And she says, your name is Kim. I'm not calling you Wayne. And I got a little belligerent with her and she said, you come in early tomorrow. So in fifth grade, the next day, I came in early, and she was at her desk, and she said, you come up here. And so, being the obedient fifth grader I was, I went up to her desk, and she had this big book laying on her desk, and it was open. I didn't know then it was a book of etymology. She went to the library that afternoon, the day before, and picked out the etymology and looked up my name in the masculine, and she pointed to it, and she said, I want you to read right here what Kim is in the masculine. And I looked at it, and I read, of royal descent like a king. And she looked at me and she said these words, I want you to live into that name. Now that was 150 years ago. And I remember it to this day, teachers, you make a difference. You change people's lives just by caring and doing what you do. My wife's here. She's a sixth grade language arts teacher up by where we live. And I, I just want you to know, every day she, gets, she goes to school, I say, go change the world, honey. And she does. And I know many of you are doing it as well. So uh, feel free to call me King Kim. That's what my wife does. Um, and it works out really well. I try to live into that name, but uh, the... Uh, the Christmas shopper. I'm not, I'm a hunter gatherer. My wife is a shopper browser. And so, but I go with her because I love her and I like hanging with her. So we go to the mall or the marketplace, wherever, some store. I'd rather do all my shopping online because I just don't like Christmas shopping. But I like to people watch. So I people watch while she's shopping a lot. And I see people wherever we are. And they, you know what I notice about this time of year? People don't look real happy. There's not a lot of joy. They just don't look like they're joyful. This is the most wonderful time of the year, right? And you're out shopping and you don't see a lot of joy except one place. I've discovered there's one place where there seems to always be a lot of joy. You know where that is? 
It's where Santa is. You know why? Because it's where the kids are. And the kids usually have some joy as long as they're not, you know, 300 yards back in the line. They have some joy the closer they get to Santa. And I watch these kids all joyful. My wife and I raised six kids, been in that line, wherever Santa is, and they get excited. Some of them get scared. You know, they get scared of this, this, this big, fat guy with the white beard. But once they get it on his lap and they realize who he is, they, they're so full of joy. I think Christmas is a little like that, where we wonder where the joy is. You're in this series at Forefront called Choose Joy, and we're trying to make that real and make choosing joy a possibility. And uh, I guess I see it in kids, and I don't see it a lot in adults. And I'm wondering, is it for adults as well? Isn't this why we also protect our children and we shelter them from as much of life as we can in order for them to... Stay joyful and see the joy in the simplest things in life. The kids are anticipating, they're happy, their childlike wonder shows up at Christmas time, and I, and I, and I appreciate that. And, but I want it for myself as well. So I'm going to ask a question, how is your joy today? How is your joy holding up at the beginning of this Christmas season? How are you doing with the whole uh, childlike wonder in you? Is it, is it even there? How, uh, any real joy in your life? Well, this series, Choose Joy, um, I'd like to use the, uh, two passages. One you already heard. We sang it, actually, uh, from Luke chapter 2, and another one uh, that we're using in this series from Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to read the verses in Philippians first. Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to read the four verses from which most of the material in this series is coming. So Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to start at verse 4 and read it. Rejoice, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be shown to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is, in, uh, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and then the God of peace will be with you. This is what God's word says. Okay, so let me talk to you about joy for a few minutes today, specifically where you find joy. How do you maintain joy? The shepherds get this um, angelic announcement. We're going to read it in Luke chapter 2, and it's fascinating when we don't read it too quickly or it becomes too familiar. Luke chapter 2 at verse 9. The shepherds are out in the field, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were fill, filled with great fear. Take note of that. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. All right. The shepherds hear this message. You will, you will receive. You will get uh, good news of great joy for everyone. That includes us. I'm imagining that includes us. It must include us. That the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem is somehow going to bring us 
the capacity or the possibility to live a life of joy that most of us think is deeper than some surface happiness, although the words can be synonymous, but there is a deeper level to joy that we see in the scriptures. So my question is, are you joyful today? Do you have a sense that God is in control, that you have joy, that you can be joyful today? It's Christmas time, the most wonderful time of the year. We hear bells, right? Sleigh bells, jingle bells, church bells, uh, Salvation Army bells, silver bells. It's like if you get enough bells ringing, how can we not have joy? But it's also the darkest time of the year. The days are short. The, we long for the light and the hope of joy. We sing our joy songs like we did this morning, like you're going to do tonight. We go to Christmas parties. We have family gatherings. Our joyful Christmas festivities are all there. And so much of the time, it's just something we do. It really doesn't uh, uh, contribute to or accompany joy. Because somewhere in the back of our heads, I'm imagining we think joy is, is not for adults. It's for kids. Adults know too much. We're too busy. We have too many responsibilities. We're worried about too many things. We have too much stress. And so that kind of takes the whole joy thing and pours cold water on it most of the time. We can be joyful for a little while. We can joke and have fun with friends. But as far as an accompanying reality, is it really part of our experience? Is it really real? Or is it otherworldly? Something that is really not for this world but for the next one? Or it's for children that before they grow up and discover how hard it is to be an adult? Well, is that not one of the reasons we try to protect our kids as, uh, as long as possible? We all know soon enough that joy will evaporate. And of course we don't tell our kids that, and of course we don't say that out loud, and we don't. But what many of us are thinking is this, where is this great joy that will be for all people? That's what the angel said to the shepherd, the shepherds. Why are so many people seemingly not happy? Why, where's their joy? Why are they not joyful? Is joy a real thing? Is it even possible these days? And if it is, where is it? Well, the angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, take a look, take notice. I bring you good news of great joy, great happiness for all the people. For unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then later, the apostle Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Now, that's very um, unusual for a biblical author to repeat something in the same sentence. It's, it's not common. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And then he skips to whatever's honorable, true, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's anything of excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The good news of great joy, this rejoicing in the Lord always. It's for everyone, isn't it? Isn't, isn't what the Bible's saying supposed to be real and set into our lives and our hearts? Aren't we supposed to see it? Aren't we supposed to experience it? Even in the dark and hard places of life, which some of you have been through, some of you are going through, some of you are coming out of that. Isn't that what Christian faith ultimately teaches, that there is a joy available? So where is it and how do we get it? All right, I want to say just a couple things about joy. Seeking it, finding it, holding on to it, and how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, helps us get there. And I would like to ask you to open your heart and your mind to what I'm about to say to you. Because I don't think anybody said this to you probably in this particular way ever, maybe, but probably not. And I'd like you to hear what I see in the text is so important for us. The most surprising thing 
about experiencing joy in our life, the good news of Jesus, and here it is. It starts with fear. So I will say it this way, seek joy through fear. The starting place for joy in your life and in my life, for real joy to come in and set in your soul and settle there and become part of your emotional and and mental makeup as a foundation in your life is fear. That's where it starts, fear. It's right here in the Gospel of Luke, and we always overlook it because we always read the Bible too fast. What happens every time an angel shows up in the Christmas narrative or anywhere in the Bible? What happens? Fear. Instantly, there's fear. Elizabeth was afraid. Zechariah was afraid. Mary was afraid. Joseph was afraid. The shepherds were afraid. Fear. Fear, when they're faced with their humanness in the light of an angelic being visiting them, there's fear. Why? Well, you know why. You know why. You can just imagine why. Because angels are big, hairy, scary creatures. They're from another world. They're extraterrestrials, and they show up, and they're going to scare you. Witless. Well, okay, maybe they're not hairy, but they're scary. Everyone who sees one is freaked out. I've, how would you react if an angel all of a sudden showed up in your car? Even if, even if it looked like Ariana Grande. And by the way, you know what Ariana Grande wants to be when she grows up? Ariana Venti. Okay. <laughs> if an angel all of a sudden showed up, in your car while you're driving, you'd drive right off the road. It'd be terrifying. Like, you'd be frozen in fear. Like, where'd you come from? Your eyes would get big. Your heart would start pounding right out of your chest. And what is this? You'd say, where did you come from? Who are you? How did you get in my car? What do I do? Do I scream? Do I run? Do I stop? What, what do I do? Personally, I've only seen one angel in my whole life. Well, I've not seen, well, I've seen one angel in my, in my whole life. And, and I saw her at my freshman year at North Glen High School across the band room, and I, I was smart enough to eventually marry her, and she's here today. That's the only angel I've ever seen. I mean, have you ever seen an angel? You probably have never seen an angel like that, like an angel that would say to you, fear not. Like, what are the angels always saying? Fear. It is so interesting. The first thing you ever see or hear an angel say is fear not. God announces the good news of great joy uh, about Jesus Christ for all people, and he does it by scaring them first. Don't be afraid, the angel says. Why does it happen like that? Well, here's why. Please listen. What happens to you when you are absolutely scared witless? I mean, imagine those times when, you, when you're scared, you're just frightened to your core. You start to panic at some level, right? There's some anxiety that all of a sudden starts to well up and it hits your neck and hits your head fast. Why? Because all of a sudden you realize you have no control. You've lost control. You're, you're not in control of the situation. I mean, think about a time you were absolutely really scared of something, not just nervous or anxious, but actually frightened. You're alone in the house, it's night. The house is dark and you hear an unusual noise or a door creak open. Or your five-year-old is separated from you in a busy, strange place. Or you're sliding on a snowy road in your car in the mountains toward a cliff. Or you're at the bedside of someone you desperately love who's dying. Or at the hospital waiting for your own test results. 
or you're in a courtroom waiting for a verdict, or you just lost your life savings. You've, you've lost control. You're not in charge. It's interesting to me that when the truth of God comes in the Christmas accounts, and when it comes into our lives now, it comes first to show us that we're not in control, that we're not in control. It shines light on the delusional thinking that most of us have that we are in charge of our lives, that we absolutely are in control. That's what God's truth, his presence, the gospel does. It comes and it says to us, very first thing, you are not in control. And that's actually a gift. It reveals that I am not in control. I only think I am. And that thinking has ruined my chances at joy, and it always will. If you think you're in control, it will ruin any chances you have at joy. Here's why. When we think we're in control of our lives, and this is especially true for those of you who are control freaks, and you know who you are, the greatest fear, the greatest fear we have is losing control. And when the inevitable crisis or event comes, something happens that is totally out of our control, we lose it. We get angry. We get resistant. We get violent. We get hateful. We get argumentative. We go inside. We, we get, you fill in the blank. How do you get? We get anything but joyful. That's for sure. Why? We've lost control. We think, we think in Implicitly, we think joy is being in control of our lives. As long as I can control my world, I can have some sense of joy. As long as I can control events, I'm going to be happy. But along comes the gospel of Jesus, and it starts at the very announcement of Jesus' birth to his parents, Mary and Joseph. Along comes the gospel, the good news of a Savior born in Bethlehem, and the very first thing that good news of great joy does is make everyone afraid. They lose control. They don't have any control over this. There's nowhere to run. Listen to me. You have to be scared because when you're scared that you're not in control of your life, you're finally in touch with reality. Reality is you're actually not in control. And when you come to terms with that in your life, good news of great joy can take the place of control. If you think back to the Apostle Paul, that's what happened to him. Remember, he was on his way to a foreign city in another part of the country to persecute and shut down this stupid thing called Christianity. These Christians, these Christ ones, these followers of Jesus who are making outrageous claims about a resurrection. The Apostle Paul, a Pharisee, was going to shut that down put him in jail, kill them if he had to. And what happened to him on the way there? Jesus met him, blinded him, and Paul, this man in control of everything up to that point, absolutely lost control. And fear gripped him. And he surrendered. He gave up. Jesus blinded him, and for three days he was blinded until he met Ananias, and then he received his sight back. This is why years later... Years later, Paul can write these words that we just read. This is the only reason he can write these words, because he's not a man insisting on control any longer. Rejoice 
in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Let your mind dwell on the things like this, uh, things of these, pure, purity, commendable, lovely, excellent things. And, the, and then the peace of God will be with you. You know, there's one thing about choosing joy. There's another thing about actually seeking it. I can say I choose joy today and be joyful for 12 minutes, but if I actually seek it in my life, I look at the reason why it can't stay, and it's usually because I, de- I, I insist and demand on having control. In my experience, and I've had, a, a, I've had almost four decades of it, people who need to be in control have a really hard time letting their mind be captured by these things Paul tells us to let our mind be captured by in order to experience the peace and the joy of God. If you want this good news of great joy, it comes first through fear that you're not in control so that you can stop believing the lie that you are. It comes by fear that you're not in control actually so you can stop believing the lie that you are. Having and holding joy means to stop believing I'm in control. Unless we see that control is a lie, that we indeed are sinners and inadequate and actually not in control, we will never, ever have our fears relieved. It just won't happen. And the glory of Christmas that we all sing about, that we all talk about, hear about, and long for real happiness, real joy, it will always escape us. It will be fleeting. What was it John Newton wrote in his great hymn? Do you remember? "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." So we miss this because in some level, all of us think we're in control. Jesus came to show us he is in control and he's the one we put our faith and our trust in so I don't have to be in control. Are there things happening in your life that show you that, that are illuminating to you, that, are, that you are not really capable of being in control of your life? Are there things, I mean, think about it. Do you have money issues or health issues or mental issues, marriage issues? What about addiction issues? And when you really think about it, it's kind of frightening. I don't have control. The message of Christmas is let that fear lead you to stop believing the lie and show you you're not in control, but God is. Christmas shouts to us that despite appearances to the contrary, our good God is in control of history, of life, of the stupid pandemic, of everything. He is really sovereign. He really is sovereign, meaning over uh, in control of everything. And he knows you. He knows who you are, and he knows what you're struggling with. And someday he will put all this wrong and seemingly out-of-control world right. Like we just heard. So stop trying to do what only he can do. Let him, let me say it this way, let your fear push you to trust him. I had a lady recently tell me that she used to be so in control of everything in her life, her home, her work, very successful businesswoman, her husband, her kids, in control of it all. She knew how everything should be and how she wanted it to be and how it had to be, and she structured it that way. 
She knew and she was proud of the fact that she was absolutely a control freak. She was strong in her personality. She never backed down. She argued her way through anything, and she liked it that way until one terrifying day she realized through a serious accident in which her teenage daughter was, um, was almost killed that she wasn't in control. She didn't have control over this part of her life. There was nothing she could do, especially about this person that, that mattered most to her laying in a hospital bed fighting for her life. And she almost lost her mind. This is her words. Eventually, her daughter recovered. And if you ask that mom today, she'd tell you she now understands she was living under delusion. And it took that horrible accident that almost took her, daughter, her teenage daughter's life to shake her awake, to scare her enough that she thought she could control everything. And when she came to the reality that she couldn't, eventually, by God's grace, she said, and I quote, he made me see it. He made me so afraid that I wasn't in control, it broke me. And with great hesitation and fear, I gave over my need for control to him. And over time, I started to experience something I always heard about but never felt. I started to experience peace and joy. A joy and a peace entered my heart, entered my life, and more and more, I'm not needing to be in control, and it's freed me to feel joyful. I found it. It's not all on me. <laughs> when that decree went out from Caesar Augustus and Mary and Joseph left Nazareth for Bethlehem, a hundred miles to the south, Nazareth is up by the Sea of Galilee. Bethlehem is five miles south of Jerusalem. They traveled on foot at, what, nine months pregnant? How do you think they felt? How do you think they felt? Were they in control of the situation? No, they didn't feel in control. But it's in the text here that we read nothing about them being, there was nothing about them being joyless. In fact, you can kind of see as you go through the text that this confidence in God that Mary and Joseph had really overcame all of the fear. Why? Why is that? Because, and the reason is because both of them had had their encounter with fear already. Remember? Angels appeared to both of them about the pregnancy and it moved them from whatever control they thought they had over their lives, if there was any control, to faith and trust and joy in the control that God has over their lives and over the world. Look, some of you today are so bound up by the need for control in your life, and I know I'm not speaking to everybody, but I'm speaking to somebody. You're so bound up by the need for control in your life, there's no space for joy. Control is occupying the space where God wants to apply and occupy with joy, where peace goes. And this control is consuming you, and it's constricting and choking off your joy. You can't even feel it or see it. Control is controlling you. And that brings me to the final thing I want to say about joy. Joy is good news, not good advice. Joy is good news, not good advice. The angel says to the shepherds, I bring you good news. He doesn't appear or she doesn't appear. They don't appear to the shepherds and say, once upon a time. Right? That's how Star Wars starts in a galaxy far, far away. No, they, they said, I bring you good news of great joy. I bring you good news. It's news, not advice. Notice that. Advice tells you what you should do. 
what you need to do. News is a report about what has already been done. It's already happened. It's already taken place. Advice encourages you to stay in control and make something happen. News tells you what did happen and how now you can respond to it. The announcement of Jesus' birth, uh, his being born in Bethlehem, is news for us. It's news of a rescue, which is, by the way, what Jesus' name means. Rescuer, Yeshua, yes, rescuer. This is news about God, what God has done to rescue us from ourselves and our crippling need for control and from the impending doom of sin. It's not advice about what we should do now to deserve a rescue or even think we can do something to deserve a rescue. It's advice. Advice says it's up to us. News says someone else has done what needs to be done. It's already accomplished. The biblical Christian narratives that we read, are all, Christmas narratives are all accounts of what has actually happened in history, an announcement of, God is, of what God has already done. You don't have to save yourself. You can't save yourself. You're not in control. God is. There's nothing you can do except receive, respond, and he has come to save you. Christmas is good news of what God has done. Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, by his grace, his amazing grace offered to you. Grace that teaches our hearts to fear. And then by grace, our fears are relieved. Do you realize what this means? It means you can stop worrying that everything depends on you, because it doesn't. It means anxiety and sorrow and tension can give way in your heart to assurance and peace and joy, and it can really happen. God is with you. He is in control. He knows your heaviness, he knows your worries, and he's asking you to let him be who he is, God who is sovereign over all. Just remember one of the greatest theologians of our time, Queen Elsa, remember what she said, let it go, (laughs) let it go, and let yourself be filled with the wonder and the joy and the comfort and the happiness and the grace we all sing about, we all long for. But it only comes as we face the fear of losing control. Then those things can, God can bring those truths to you. I know it's not easy. I know. But if you want joy over joyless, real joy, inside joy, deep down confidence and peace and joy, you can't have it until you seek it. And that begins by admitting to God that you know you're not in control, that he is, and ask him to put joy where control has a hold of you. Ask him. It's the good news of great joy. It's real and it's true. And when we understand that, then we can be freed from our control issues and find joy and peace and tell God thank you. And that's what the text Paul writes, with thanksgiving in your heart, gratitude, thanksgiving, how Drew ended last week's sermon. It it all centers around that gratitude that comes out of God showing us who he is and who we are not and what he's done for us. Joy, remember our definition? Joy is gratitude rooted in grace no matter your circumstances. Thanksgiving to God, actually telling God that you're grateful to him for everything, your life, your home, your work, 
for clean water, for shoes, for food, for the ability to breathe clean air. Thank him for loving you and cherishing you and for freeing you from the illusion of control. This good news of great joy means you can stop worrying. God's not mad at you. He's not punishing you. He's not disappointed in you. It's not on you. Be grateful that it's not about what you can do or what you've done because you've screwed up. So have I. Welcome to club screw up. But that's why it's good news, not good advice. It's the gospel. Yes, you are more sinful and flawed in yourself than you ever dared believe. But at the same time, you are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared hope. Oh, man, I want that so badly for us to understand this today, this beginning of a Christmas season where joy can be real, good news for all people, including you. It doesn't matter if you don't think you deserve it. You don't. Neither do I. But we get it. It's right here. Jesus is right here. He's got you. He's got this. He's never left or forsaken you. By the way, the only thing you can do about this good news of great joy is to respond to it. God has already done everything. God does not send the angel with good advice. He sends the angel with good news. And that results in great joy because the Savior is born in Bethlehem. Christ the Lord, it's all about Jesus. So let me say a prayer. Father, there's tremendous weight and burden that someone is carrying today. And you're trying to show them that this good news of great joy can be theirs and that they can experience it. They're being crushed by the weight of their own expectations, their desire or insistence on being in control. Would you show them that great this good news of great joy can be theirs, that they can experience it, they can have it, they can find it, they can seek it by seeking you, by losing control to you. Help them to get to that place today. Help us and find space, the openings in our heart for joy to make its home there. Just drop it in us, God. Put it there where we need it, its presence the joy that we long for and so desperately need, the joy of knowing you are absolutely in control. We want that joy today. We seek that joy in our lives that never leaves, even in the hard places. It's here. It's real because it's in Jesus. So thank you for that. Joy to the world. Jesus has come. Amen.